Good morning, sports fans. Welcome back to the Coaches Cloffee Club podcast. Uh, I am your host, Mr. Lee Garlic, and today I am joined by five of my esteemed friends and colleagues, some who I've had the pleasure of sharing touchlines with, uh, some the same team, some as opponents, some uh, observing, but one thing they all have in common, I've definitely learned a lot from them, they've got some great experiences, and I'm excited for today's discussion on, dare I say it, winning going to talk about winning but before we get into that um, me and the boys just been having a look at Pitch which is our podcast sponsor uh, www.pitchrmt.com what do you think lads? Good. Yeah it's great very good good, op- good yeah. opportunity for lads Brilliant. excellent yeah, we, um, we've all been having a look this morning it's an opportunity for players and coaches to um, spot talent for, for young players uh, playing at any level to showcase their capabilities and, and increase their opportunity to get signed at different clubs so if you're a player or a coach looking to either recruit talent or further your game make sure you go and sign up on www.pitchrmt.com all the boys are on there with profiles so you get a lot of exposure um, but yeah go and get get a look um, share your thoughts please spread the word because we genuinely do think it is a it is a good resource and uh, no doubt going to take off in the near future so have a look but without further ado Let's introduce today's guests. I will let them give a quick lowdown on on who they are and, and their current roles, um, and then we'll we'll get into the meaty topic of competitive football. So, going around the room. Thanks, Lee. Uh, it's James Alger, head of academy goalkeeping at Coventry City. Uh, Mark Lyons, head of uh, pre academy um, lead coach at Leicester City. Uh, Shane Goddard, lead youth development phase coach at Northampton Town. Uh, James Geddes, so I'm a grassroots football coach for Morsley FC, looking after the under-16s. And John Bitting, who's the lead phase at MK Dons. Brilliant. Morning, lads. Thanks for joining me. Morning, Morning Lee. Morning. It's a, uh, a nice early start on our day off, so I do really appreciate it. Um, uh, that's definitely some tired eyes around the room. <laughs> <laughs> Stop looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this morning we're, we're going to discuss, um, discuss winning. And I guess my first question, I'll, I'll throw it out to the room for anyone to answer, but why has winning become such a taboo topic in, in youth football? What are your thoughts on that, chaps? I think it, do you think it because it sometimes brings out, can bring out the worst in people on some of the, the on the touchline, how, and mannerisms, attitudes, things like that. So I think, I think there's like a taboo around it because of sometimes the emotional attachment people get with the game and with the result. I think as well, we've tried to change the culture of the country over the last sort of 10, 15 years, maybe. And we had to go a different direction for player development. And sometimes in order to change culture, you need to go in the complete polar opposite direction. So when you're talking about youth football and youth development, winning was quite a high priority and we didn't think about anything else. Whereas the courses nowadays and all the input from the FA and all the roles that are happening across the country with the coach mentors and stuff, it's kind of pushed pushed us towards a polar opposite way to, in order to change people's mindsets a little bit. Um, so maybe winning had to become a taboo topic. Um, whether that's still the case now is up for debate, and I'm guessing that's what we're here for today. Yeah, there, there has definitely been a shift, hasn't there, towards um, <clears throat> development being the priority, at, at, especially at younger ages. Um, do, do, you, do you feel that 
that maybe it's gone too far in one way or is there, do we think the balance is right or um, again because it, it is almost jokingly on, on social media when we, we mentioned that the topic was winning jokes came back oh how dare you say it like so what what are your thoughts on that I don't know about you John have you got anything on I, 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 I do think that winning and having that competitive edge to what you do you're in that environment I think what you're actually looking for is within our environment in terms of being in an academy, you're still looking for that development side, but there is also that, that element of learning. So you might have your normal games programme, but then dropping in round robins, um, the competitions that the Premier League put on and things like that, give you a completely different opportunity to work on potentially the players learning around um, performance, not just over the development side, but it also links to how does that change does it change your philosophy on what you've been working on does it change your game plan or anything like that so I do think that it is about getting that competition um, or that competitive edge right across it being a, a game against a grassroots side against a, a team in a cat one cat three um, a team from a different culture in terms of a different country um, I think you can create a and a winning mentality, but there still has to be a link to what your philosophy is and with your club. Mm. I think we have to be careful as well that winning of itself isn't a bad thing. So winning per se shouldn't be taboo, I don't think. I think it's, going back to what Shane was saying, the behaviours that people exhibit then in order to get to that or to that outcome and how much focus are they putting on that as an outcome versus other outcomes that you could get. So we shouldn't talk about winning and be ashamed to win or, or it be a taboo you know winning is absolutely fine um but you know what um what level do you put that at versus other outcomes that you could get yeah i think like we said it's that the balance and finding the the sweet spot as such i guess is really important maybe 10 15 years ago the the, the balance was tipped towards winning being the most important which has meant there was a need for a change and but arguably now maybe maybe the, the, the country or the, the coaching fraternity has tipped the balance slightly too far the other way, just for arguments. I don't know if that's true or not, but where now it's almost like development is the only important thing. Do you think now people are starting to, to realise that maybe we've lost that winningness and start to try and even out the scales a bit? I think psychologically um, winning helps massively. Um, take development and I think when you're developing individuals that result sometimes you can you can you can go for a month two months developing an individual but but that win psychologically for, for the for the group for the individual it, it really does help and I think you can you can develop and take part and, and kind of as an individual do do really well but collectively as a team not be winning I think psychologically that win kind of it sets a tone for the next week and stuff like that, and I think it's that that's really important as well. You've got to have that 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 psychological effect of the of the winning. I think as as coach coaches across the country and at varying different levels of the game have improved their knowledge and their expertise in this area. I think we're now getting to a point whereby it's not development versus winning, or it's not holding the two exclusive. It's actually bringing them closer together. And particularly from foundation phase and things like that, bear in mind, if we're working at the elite game, 
these these players are going to be judged on winning and losing if they don't perform and get results. And I think that's the key word in this is winning. Winning no longer is a topic that is a bad word because we're sort of redefining what winning is. Winning, uh, what what winning looks like nowadays, is a lot different. I think the result of the game has become less important to adults or coaches, and I think that's the focus. It's not. It's not about the actual result that's the important thing. The kids' processes and the players' processes on how to win the game. I know we've had discussions about it, Lee, in the past at uh, roles where we've worked together. The processes kids go through about how to win games of football is the most important thing and being competitive in it, regardless of what the actual result is within the game. Because for their development, they're going to need to be put in situations. Them needing to want to win the game is vitally important as a, as a, as a player. The adults around kids' football and youth football, the result shouldn't matter. What if that result never comes and, and you kind of emphasise on making those right decisions on how you see developing, but actually the results don't, don't happen or then, they don't happen enough? But then for me, that's a case of making sure you get the right games programmes and getting, making sure you're arranging sufficient games for the lads so they get to experience the result being positive, the result being negative or a challenge in the result um, I know different academies and, and I'm sure it happens at grassroots level in fact I know it happens at grassroots level at, at clubs that I know in and around where I live they organise extra games and organise additional games to make sure that the players can experience different types of fixtures which I think is, is it goes to show the, the work that the FA and the work that the coach mentors and things like that are doing are massively improving the, the the coaches out the coach's ability to to do that and their knowledge around that those sorts of areas but this is what i'm saying to the kids it should be up the result and winning and everything else should be should be first and foremost to them because they should all want to win the game of football um, and have that passion to drive their learning however to the adults in the room it shouldn't matter and the adult not just in this room but the adults around kids football it shouldn't that shouldn't come above anything else a kid shouldn't be praised for winning a game or or disciplined for losing a game they should be spoken about the learning that's taking place in it and the processes they've gone through yeah I, I agree with that and a lot of what you're saying now is that something we've spoke about recently in, in a conversation I had was as a coach if we're say we're working with slightly older players and we're working around strategies tactics shape format whatever or roles and responsibilities within a game if that has a positive effect, i.e. score line, that adds so much value to your input as a coach. Because it, it, it cements that value, doesn't that's what it? I mean, we could, we could go three or four weeks talking about how important the high press is or, or to play a low block or whatever, but if we keep losing the game, I think it's really hard for young people to see the correlation between the two. Whereas if you talk about something and it results in a positive performance or even a positive result, straight away, those kids, uh, it, it adds buy-in. So from a coaching perspective, it really does help. But I, I, I like what, how you summarise it there, Mark. I think I think we're getting a lot better at it now. James, it'd be interesting to hear your opinions on, on working in grassroots level that it should be important for the players. But I guess maybe in this... We're preaching to the converted, I guess, with coaches. A lot of coaches who, who work with players understand that our role is to develop, but the players might want to win. And like I said the, the parents or those that are watching winning, is that still the most important thing? Are you noticing? Or is it is there a shift in the grassroots game? So, 
So I think when you, know, you start off with young players, sort of six, seven years old, they all want to win. I mean, I've seen some fierce games of musical chairs. Kids are competitive. So <laughs> <laughs> they, they want to win, and, um, and that's fine. And I don't think that should be discouraged. Um, but I think as a coach, you have a responsibility to help them to see more than that. Um, so you've got to you know, take uh, the positive elements out of a game, talk about what you've been working on in your coaching sessions, um, highlight that as the thing that you want to work on. And I think as well as a coach, I think it's a huge responsibility to help the parents understand that as well. Because I think that conversation on the way home from a grassroots match um, can often be about whether you won or not. And as you say, Mark, the child shouldn't be praised for winning or you know, criticised for losing because that outcome is not really within their control. So um, I think if you can help parents to understand what you're working on with the team, what perhaps what you're working on with an individual player as well and what you're looking for, you know, that conversation on the way home can be very different with the parent. And regardless of what the score line is, um, then they can talk about what went well, what didn't, went well uh, what didn't go well. Did you do the things that you were looking to do did it work? Why do you thought, think it worked? Uh, and when didn't it work? And perhaps what could you do next week that might change that outcome? Um, so I think um, there's that natural sort of will to win when they come in. Um, I think over time, if you work with the parents and the players, you can add to that. So there's, there's more than just winning. Uh, it, it's a little bit like a sandwich to me. Um, so bear with me. Um, <laughs> From the outside, from the outside, all the world sees of a sandwich is, is the bread. That's it, it's on the outside. Um, and it's the same uh, within a match. All the world sees sort of is the scoreline. And actually, the, the, the bread on the outside or the scoreline is not the important bit. The really important bit is in the middle. You know, it's, it's what's in the middle of your sandwich that's important. And it's what's in the game that's important as well. I think there's so much more value you can get out. And if you just concentrate on the scoreline, um, then I think you're just missing a huge amount. And do you think, is there a, is that changing in the grassroots game from the opposite touchline? Is there, is it, I'm not saying parents shouldn't enjoy the, the process of winning, the emotion of football, but what, what are your personal experiences or views on that? Is, is winning still, where do you see the scale being tipped in the grassroots game, I, I guess? I, I think it is changing. I think as, as coaches are um, increasingly... Uh, um, sort of educating themselves and, and understanding that there's more to it than that and I think working with parents and players I do think that's having an effect but I also think, think that there's a, a very strong culture still of winning is important um, within grassroots even at sort of younger age um, and I think you know that's an education that, that needs to happen over time so I do still see a lot of that but I think you know gradually it's shifting over time. That's a really interesting point because one of my next questions that I, I wanted to pose to, to you guys is um, obviously in sort of elite football or academy football, 90% of the games are non-competitive. I mean, in schools you have non-competitiveness as well, whatever that means. Um, but with that, with that being said, in, in academies, if games are non-competitive or, or there's, no, there's no real recording or sharing of results, etc., which... Just on record, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. But do you think that maybe this is... We're failing to develop competitive players 
Um, if so, do you have any strategies that you can't use to combat this? If a player joins an academy, nowadays they can join at seven or, or six, might stay there till they're 17 or 18. If they're not exposed to competitive football, are we failing to develop that trait of competitiveness or does it not necessarily, like James said, kids have it, do you see it diminish? I mean, Shane, what are your, your thoughts and experiences on, on that and, and do you have any strategies that you try and work with players to be competitive if you think that's an important trait? I think um, around it, the, the key to it is your balance of your games programme, what your games programme looks like and putting everything into context around what your, your long-term out, outcomes you want for, for the individual um, and how you're going to achieve them. So I think your point around the boys coming in at young ages or coming in later is really important because and I think it's something we see and talk about a lot is if you get... If we take a boy at 16 who's never played academy football and comes in from grassroots, which can happen, often does happen for clubs like us, he might he will have been exposed to far more competitive games of football where potentially winning as an outcome is, is really important than a boy who might have been in our programme from the age of nine. And those two boys might go on the same journey into our youth team and then you're looking at them being first team ready at 18 at our football club essentially so you're looking you're looking at potentially having a boy who's had some really competitive football potentially knowing how to go and achieve a result a win versus a boy who might have been exposed to the occasional festival tournament or the occasional competitive game throughout his games program and then being at the same point and needing to know how to get a result on a Tuesday night away at Carlisle like we did last night, it's um, finding that balance, finding that balance of uh, of giving them opportunities to be exposed to it is absolutely critical. Um, and I think it, I, I just think it's in context around around how much we prioritise the the actual result over what an individual win looks like, and when that shifts. I spoke to YDP and my staff around it being kind of like a, a sliding scale. Really, for me, I think as they get closer to 18s, and we, in our competitive games programme, we make no no bones around the fact that we wanted to win that this year. We wanted to win that. We'd, we'd won it last year and we wanted to win it because we're, we have a real short window with those 16s to get them ready for for what is a competitive environment at 18s football. Um, I think the big thing around it is, though, is do you win at all costs or is there still processes in place that allow for mistakes and errors and lots of learning? And that's a real vital tool. Um, and I think that's really, really important from, from my aspect and my view on it. So, I think the big thing is redefining, like I say, I think I mentioned it before, about what winning is. And I think as long as... <laughs> if you're trying to develop competitiveness in the lads, the messages that you give them on a sessionally basis or a weekly basis will go into their head over a number of years. So if you're saying the result's not important, forget about the result, don't worry about the result, winning's not important, etc., etc., then they're going to grow up not to care about, not be a competitive kid. If you're, if you're in a situation whereby you're playing against a team where you're not expected to win, okay, well, win you 1v1 battle. So if you're a fullback playing against a tricky winger, can you can how can you nullify his strength? So can you get a win there? Okay, how many crosses did he get in? That can you limit him to five crosses? If you win that, that's a challenge for you within within the within the game. So you can still get winning and losing, so to speak, without 
winning and losing a game of football and a result. And I think the culture of football is shifting. or it, It's still the same because, we, I mean, we've worked in professional environments and even in the grassroots environment. The first question you get asked is, how would you get on? Nobody asks who was the best player on the pitch. Very few people ask who was the best player on the pitch, how many were in the top three. The first question you get asked was, who, how, what was the result? And I bet the first question you get asked, Alex, as a goalkeeping coach was, what do you think the goalkeeper could have done better on that goal? Yeah, but also, I think, just going back to that, you, you ask any player now, how did you get on? That, the detail in that question is, how did you get on? But the, the natural answer is, we, collectively as a team, lost. Or we, collectively as a team, won. Well, actually, the detail in that question, the receiver of that question, grassroots academy player, receives that question in a way to say, well, we lost. So instantly, they're not, they never answer straight away as, yeah, I did okay. But then on, on the other hand, if I was to ask a goalkeeper, how did you get on? And he said, oh, I did this, I did really well. Blah, blah. My, my distribution was excellent. I came for loads of crosses. My starting position was really positive, but we lost 6-0. I mean, for me, as a goalkeeper, okay, that, that that's great. But then there's other side of the game, well, 6-0 defeat is, is quite a... Psychologically, everything for a goalkeeper, you, you've conceded six goals, you're telling me how well you've done these parts of the game, but actually, there's a lack of something else there. I, I would rather a goalkeeper say to me, we lost 6-0, but I did this really well, really well, and I recognise that a couple of them goals I could have done this, this, this better. I would rather they, they, they said they lost, because that kind of highlights that they recognise that their responsibility and their role within the game is to is to prevent goals, reduce goals. They've identified that that's their their role and responsibility, but then they've elaborated and said. Jack, sorry, James, quickly on on your so from from a goalkeeper aspect, mm-hmm. would you rather your goalkeepers play in a team that wins lots of games and therefore you might not have a lot to do, or a team that? is open and your goalkeeper's got loads to do and he's exposed and you might therefore lose a game because I think your your position and your take on mm. it will potentially be completely different from if I'm looking at like a centre forward, I want my centre forward to have loads and loads of chances. Now we might that might mean he scores loads of goals mm. and, you know so I think I think not so much not so much conceding goals but preventing. So actually I I I don't mind a goalkeeper losing games, of course, because that's going to happen. And I, and I like to see their reactions and stuff like that, how they deal with, deal with defeats and, and how they react. But also, I think it's it's important to to look at how goalkeepers are preventing that happening. So, organising. They might not have anything to do, but there's nothing wrong with a goalkeeper coming away from a game and, and keeping a clean sheet or reducing the goals to one or two because they've organised well or, or they've sort of prevented stuff from ever happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess as I was talking about like that slide, that sliding scale. I guess exactly. as you get closer towards the professional game yep. or the higher end, ideally you want your keeper doing less and less, but more focused on the the small or the the individual details that that save that you might have to make every couple of minutes. Or yep. something. But you know, you go down the scale towards like foundation phase. You might actually might want him exposed to quite a lot of stuff. So you get loads of practice at it. I think yeah. it comes back to those experiences though, doesn't yeah. it? And tailoring your games programme to, yeah. to give them lots of different experiences and making sure they're not getting all of the same thing because you want them but in possession. So you want them to have games whereby actually they're dominant in possession so they can get lots of the ball to their feet and you can set challenges to play out from the keeper, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think what you were saying around them saying about the result first, kids are competitive by nature. I think you've, you've said it at grassroots, kids are competitive by nature yeah. and they grow up competitive 
it's it's the adults that kill it by yeah. the conversations they have with them on a daily basis. If we and that's and that's part of what I enjoy about the foundation phase is making sure we don't kill that competitive spirit by continually telling them results aren't important. Results aren't important. I've never kept a score at under eights, hundred percent. But I would always ask a kid to say, "How many? What? What? Like, how'd you get on? What? How many goals did you score?" And I would expect them to know and not and actually care about that, um, because you want them to want to stop goals and you want them to want to score goals. Otherwise, we're going to turn up a situation whereby it becomes we we try and attack and we go and score, and you don't we don't defend because we know we're going to get the ball back and then we can do our bits in possession. You want that competitive nature, so you can't kill it with messages like results aren't important. And I think winning and development now are starting to become hand in hand to develop winning and develop kids that want to win. Do we, so em- do we emphasize enough? On, do we emphasize enough to players that losing is okay? I, th- I think I, I think you you have to create an environment to do that. So if mm. you've got reflection during the game, which they have to solve and adapt in that moment, um, either it be during in a in a period break. Um, but also your reflection afterwards. Mm. If they can understand what they've potentially need to improve on to potentially prevent a goal from going in or missing a chance up the other end, I do think it's important that they have an understanding of the why. So why why do you need to do this? What what needs to happen to to prevent, to stop, to to score? I do think there is an element of creating that environment where that reflection is then put into the development of the game so, as well. So can we do that then by, obviously I've, I've worked on a touchline against you and I know full well how, how well you work with your players and the objectives you set them, they're little mini wins within the game, isn't it? So if you lose the result, you can actually comment on the objectives that you've set and if they've achieved some objectives in the game, that they're little mini wins, would it's, you say? It's the, yeah, so it's, like we've said before, it's not always just about the score where you get the win. So, how you look at that is, well, what you've been working on during that week. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago, we got quite a heavy defeat at 16s. The bit that we were focusing on, or the, the positive that we got out of it, was the way that we played out and how we kept possession was good. The bits that affected our performance was engaging the ball, transition and out of position. So we identified, and this was as a group, it wasn't just observations from the side, they identified those things. Well, actually, we were weak in this area. What do we need to do better at it? So it didn't happen in there at that moment in time in the game. Um, but afterwards, when once they had that opportunity to reflect, and actually the following week it was, it was better. Our possession remained, but it was what we were doing out of possession is still needing to improve. They've recognised it, which is great. So there's, they've identified the problem. So create an environment where a player can identify problems and critique or be critical about what they're doing. I think, like you said, it's a, it's a little win in terms of they're able to assess and they're able to observe as well. Uh, I think, <clears throat> like you, someone touched on it earlier around, as we go through the age, I think you said it, Shane, around the older you get, the more important it, of learning how to win and not lose comes into the equation. My um, My question or my worry around quote-unquote, non-competitive football. If players are exposed to non-competitive football where the result is ignored as such, um, how do we still develop competitive in your players? Because I'm, I believe we're, if you're a product of your environment, if you're exposed to that for a long time, many years, whereby it, and if you concede a goal, it's okay, keep trying. Like, And I think that should be important up to a certain level. But do you find that 
that has an impact on young players whereby they maybe don't don't hurt if they lose or concede a goal or don't I, I don't know what, what are your thoughts I, on I, that John I, I do think that like we, we spoke about it before having someone coming from an environment where that is the case to players being in that environment where saying the score doesn't matter I do think that you can see that difference where they can just say well, we've got another game to come it's not a case of them looking at it where potentially the manager could lose your, their, their job by you not doing your roles and responsibilities within the game. So I think it's important that players understand about key principles within the game and their objectives within the game as well. Because if they're not doing them, at the older age groups, having an understanding of those will help them that it might... Yeah, the result is important once you get to a senior level, creating that, comp like that competitive environment... I think you can still do it by having those match day objectives in, in place. Look, if the scoreline doesn't reach it, why not? What, what could we do to make that better or improve that element of, of the game as well? Um, I do think that there is an element of... Um, I think there just needs to be that more focus around potentially putting in competitive weeks or games programme around competition, around it, like I said earlier, around, around Robins. Yeah, things like that that like, could improve it. Do you think well. the I think from a football league, Premier League point of view, I think now that coaches are a lot more skilled at managing the results in terms of not getting too sucked into the results. I think there's a lot more competitive tournaments that are coming out. Yeah, so I think, I think what ha what happened is like you said, we it was so win based previously that development was forgotten about. So there was a huge shift towards development whereby winning was kind of forgotten about, and now we're just getting into that that stage where it's do you know what we need both. Yeah. So clubs. Speaking from an academy perspective, clubs are starting to add stuff to their games program to to bring in these little elements of competitiveness because I think learning to win and how to not lose is a skill, isn't it? So there's got to be times in their development now at pre-academy or acad at foundation phase. They might be once a year, twice More a season, that. but but <laughs> but yeah, but it might might just be sporadically now yeah. and then through the YDP. You might have one game a month, or you might have two or three tournaments a year where but and then and you get into the 16s or the 18s where it's every week so incrementally over the, to the age groups it phases up towards first team but i do think shane interesting tell, tell us about you mentioned a competitive program or mark we we're involved in something at a previous club where clubs got together to try and add that competitive element so I think to a lot the of clubs that do, that do that now in their little clusters, so getting local competitive stuff. Yeah, so we have one with, um, so under 15s, we're in with Wolves have put together like a competitive competition. Um, so our 15s don't have an out and out games programme, so that's, a, that's an issue with its, within itself um, for those clubs that do combine 15s, 16s programmes. You have to go and source your additional fixtures. But um, so. I think clubs are getting to a point where they're getting together and they're they're saying actually no we need we need something where it's competitive and we need to be creative around how how we're going to look at stuff. Um, I was looking, I spoke to a coach at Nottingham Forest the a week and we were talking about how we could do some maybe some two legged fixtures to to put something different on the game so you know so the boys have different perspective on on things and I, I think it's just it's about how creative we are within our roles. To, to create environments where we say to the boys, no, this is, today is, is about a, a competitive element and finding a way to, or learning a way to win, whether that be your individual stuff or collectively as a team. But it's just, I think you have to be creative and it's about, there's more, 
I think there's more like-minded coaches in roles now who are of the opinion that that winning is is important, but in the context of how you do it and how you build it into your your program and things like that. So, um, but like I said, like the 16s one's an interesting one because like for the 16s they obviously get decisions at Christmas. So, you know their competitive games program is is like a real short window. Like it's eight eight games that we will have as a competitive games program. So and then that's that's getting them ready for playing in a week in week out in an 18s league next year. And if you if you do well in that hopefully maybe getting in and around 46 first team league games so it's you you've got you have to at some point address the fact that these boys have got to be ready for the football league and we can talk we can talk about being tactically technically ready but that psychological element of winning games of football and the robustness to bounce back from a defeat or to to understand confidence and winning and, and establishing yourself in a game i think it's much easier for for a young player to to be picked out when him and his teammates around him are doing well than the, the individual who or, or on a results basis then when you're like losing a lot of games it you know it's it's that much harder so I, 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 I find it funny that we talk about non-competitive games like we're using competitive as being the same as winning matters or it doesn't matter and I think whether or not you know you're in an environment where you need to win the game or you don't need to win the game you know games are still going to be competitive so, so non-competitive doesn't mean like people aren't competing or being encouraged to. I think that term's come in because the word winning was so bad; it's yeah. just replaced it, hasn't yeah. it? If we say non-competitive, it's not as bad as like. <laughs> I think, I think that gives to... a, an, an illusion of, of no one's really caring about yeah. the result. People still care, but again, it's just you know how much sort of focus you yeah. put on that against sort of other outcomes. Uh, so, I like the idea of Shane's sort of sliding scale. Because I think, and again, from a grassroots perspective, you know, seven, eight-year-old players coming in, I don't really want them to be worried about the result. It's not within their gift. You know, as a coach, it's not really within your gift. You just want them to be having fun, learning, um, you know, enjoying being with their friends. You know, there's lots of other outcomes that are far more important. But And then I think you're right, it is a sliding scale then as you get older. And then what does that start to look like? So do you start to introduce elements of game management, and, and have some challenges around that. Um, and then, you know, as they get older again, what's interesting in grassroots football is that everybody's on board with the whole development thing up until under 12. And then what happens at under 12 is they introduce league tables. And then the whole behaviour changes. It's really interesting to see. And you see different um, attitudes from the sidelines. Suddenly winning becomes far more important. And that, that balance between development I know you're right to say it's not development versus winning, but the the balance between the two suddenly shifts almost overnight. Mm. Um, and so that I was going to be one of one of my next questions around. Um, Can I ask him a question on that? No, it's Thank my you. podcast. <laughs> 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 it's going to anyway. So, do you think that the reason it shifts is because the result is important every weekend, whereas at academies they have. Sit, that, that we, we organise a games programme to give them lots of different experiences so we speak about 10,000 hours I know I've had a conversation with you guys before, before about 10,000 different experiences and because they've got so many like they drop in a competitive festival or a competitive league where one week it's a league format the next week it's non-competitive you can't see what I'm, uh, inverted commas um, but is it because do you think the shift on grassroots is because every single week they're playing in a league or a cup and therefore the result matters more. 
Yeah, I do. I think up until that point, obviously, you don't have the league tables, so you don't have a frame of reference. And I know coaches who keep league tables before that, which kind of defeats the object. Um, but all of a sudden, you've got this kind of tangible manifestation of, of how your club is doing. Um, and I think people latch onto that and then that suddenly becomes important. It's almost as if everything you've done before that um, gets forgotten. And I think that's a real key time, you know, as I say, for coaches to work with players, but particularly work with parents and help parents to understand that development is still going to be what we're working on here. Yeah, OK, we've now got league tables, but actually that's not going to be our, you know, our primary aim. Perhaps for some clubs it is. Um, but it is noticeable that sort of shift happens at, at that age group. For me, it, it feels too early. I would rather not have league tables for longer. Um, that'd be an interesting debate. Um, but I'd, I'd rather sort of see it shifting up towards sort of like 15, 16, something like that. And as you say, you, you know, you then get onto your sort of sliding scale and it becomes increasingly important. Or could you have shorter leagues? So, for example, you might do a eight-week league where you play eight, eight fixtures and that forms a league table. Then for the next six, you've got a non-competitive again without publishing results or anything like that. They do still have cup competitions in the younger ages, don't they? They so do, They yeah. still get competitive football at the younger ages, they just don't yeah. publish league formats so that when they're playing additional formats, so it's a little bit more like an academy. Yeah, what, what, I think's, what I think's really important, like you mentioned there, James, is the emphasis that you as a coach put on it. Like so the, the one thing that Grassroots has over academies, in my opinion, is the fact that there's a league table naturally creates the competitiveness or that the puts more importance on winning which is often lost in academy football my question my next question would be and again James has touched on it a little bit but what are the problems or challenges that come into the equation when winning is important or when winning is a factor I mean you've what have you you've touched on there James around um, almost at times the the development gets forgotten about a little bit there's a blip in that and you have to work really hard to get players or parents back on the back on track with that but what are the from a grassroots and an, an academy point of view when you start introducing competitive winning is important type games whether it's once a year or whatever what are the challenges you face as a coach yeah i, I think i think there is a shift there i think um I think it changes decisions that, that you know, some coaches make. Um, I think they start to come under pressure because of elite really tables. Parents will talk to them about that. Um, some parents want the coach to make decisions um, that are going to give the team a better chance of you know, winning the game and going to create a better outcome from their perspective in terms of the result. Um, so that's why I think it's important to sort of to manage the parents. Um, and I think it, it, it then becomes harder for the coach then to... Um, you know, to sort of make those decisions. For me, if you're making a decision that's um, going to increase your chances of winning a game, then you've got to think about what is that going to do from a development perspective. Um, if you're going to make a decision that's going to um, uh, benefit from a development perspective, you think it's the right thing to do from a development perspective, whether it be for an individual player or for the team as a whole, then that might have an impact on your chances of winning the game. So what's important to you? And I think that's the that's the kind of conundrum that you sort of come up against. So for me, um, I, you know, I'll make the decision around developing players every time um, because that's far more important to me. But I appreciate that for some, you know, it isn't. But I've been fortunate enough to watch you, James, and I think over the years you've managed to find a good balance. And actually, through developing your players for what is the age old, age old 
um, adage of if winning takes care of itself, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Like, and I think your your team in the latter years have yep. experienced some some success or yeah. quite a bit of success yeah. because of the focus on development you put in the build-up. Yeah, so we've always talked about, as we go onto the pitch, we always talk about execution. We don't we don't go onto the pitch saying, let's win this game. We, we go onto the pitch saying, let's do the things that we've worked on in our sessions. Let's execute well. Let's make good decisions. So let's manage the process of winning, going back to what Mark was saying earlier, and do the things that are going to give us the best chance of winning. Winning's not an outcome that's within our grasp. So to go out and say, come on, boys, let's go and win, we don't have that you know, ability to make that outcome happen. What we do have is the ability to think about you know, what, what's going to give me the best chance of achieving that outcome? How do I make sure that I do what I need to do? I win my 1v1s or and whatever it be to give us the best chance. So we've always concentrated on that sort of process. Um, and as you say, let winning take care of itself. And, you know, over sort of latter years, we've started to see that success come through. But it's a long process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's happened over quite a number of years. And I think sometimes it's difficult for parents to sort of buy into that sort of six, seven-year process. Um, it's hard to explain to the parent of a six-year-old that actually what you're trying to aim towards is, is you know, the, the level of that child when they reach 15 or 16. It's, it's really difficult for the parent to give you that amount of trust. But um, I think they only, they, only, they only start to say or question that when you lose. Because if you're winning and developing... They, they see the winning and developing. If they see developing and losing, they, they, they lose track of the developing just because they've lost. Yeah, I think so right. I think it's okay to lose when there's a development plan individually in place and, and parents can see that, but they, they will also get lost from, yes, you're seeing success now in the development side of things and winning will take care of itself, but... Parents will lose lose sight of that development because ultimately you're winning. But I think what we need to say to parents is that actually losing is okay because there's a development plan in place and, and they're doing that sort of side of things as well. So it's keeping really out of what you're saying is it's your core values about sticking to those, yep. even absolutely. winning or losing, your values stay the same, yep, absolutely. your objectives stay the same to what they yep. they need to within the game. You don't change your, you don't change your your your, your decision making during your game to to help develop in the player to lose the game. You do it for the process of ultimately winning, but by providing those development aids as well. But they only get questioned by parents or or the viewing public if the result is a loss. So do we need to do more work then? And I think this is where some clubs are. We we lose sight of the fact that actually we take another person's pride and joy and work with that pride and joy and leave them completely in the dark stood over the other side of the pitch with no understanding of what we're doing with their child and bear in mind that we I don't want to use the phrase play God but we turn around and go we know best you stay over there and you shut up and let us do our job which to some extent they've got to allow us to do our job because they're bringing their child to us because they trust us hopefully mm. with the development of their child mm. Mm. however with a bit better cooperation working with them to say look this is what we're working on this is mm. what you should expect to see so you'll expect to see us playing out from the back and taking risks and doing that a consequence of that is 
we're going to struggle at doing it and we're yep. going to struggle in this sense so therefore we might affect results and we might do and you might see your son lose confidence and you might see your son be put in situ or daughter be put in situations of um of situ of, of struggle and where it's going to be difficult and therefore the result might go against them and understand them having that block of work that we're doing with their children who are who they entrust to us but then we do nothing on the other side of it mm. if they're on board with it and they work with it, then hopefully the whole environment can be better rather than having a results-based game whereby they're playing in leagues and the people over the other side of the pitch are just seeing the result and getting all excited or all depressed about the result. And then we take the kids away, we get them changed, we debrief them, send them over to these pe- send them back over to a group of people who haven't had a clue what we've said. Yep. Then they go in the car on the way home and all they talk about is a result. Yeah. And I think that's unfair and that's looking at us from a coach's point of view of saying, can we debrief in front of the parents? Can we give the parents something that they get to take away? And that's something I'm fortunate enough through my mentoring role to see a lot of grassroots work. And to be fair, that's one thing that I think quite a few grassroots coaches and clubs do really well at involving the parents because with, with all due respect, they need that help and they're such an, an academy can kind of go, no, no, we got this. We've got enough staff or whatever. We've got that. But at grassroots, if James is on his own on the touchline, actually the parents are your, your, your assistant coaches and stuff and grassroots yeah. really do that. So one question I wanted to ask, ask you, John, and then throw it over to you, Alex, because I'll be interested to hear from a goalkeeper perspective. But we've spoke around... Um, winning becoming important at certain levels etc but how how do you foster a learning or development environment um when winning is important in the game be that to to the club the players or the parents how do you what strategies or tips have you got to still encourage learning and development when three points might be on the line etc i think it's important to stick to even within those those are still in, important with the, the three points. Even at under 18s, they're still kids. They're still learning. They're still developing their, their trade or, or is their, their career potentially. I think they you still have to have, or they still have to have alongside us that, that understanding of what they need to be working on. So as well as that being important, look, we may have lost actually your detail and your craft behind playing as a right back and recognising um, options further away than the closer options and looking at sliding the ball down the line, making the right decisions, making the right decisions at the right time, I still think that's important for that development of that player. If he understands those, when it does get to that point where potentially he could be in the first team or 23s or where he's got eyes on him from the first team, they can see that actually he's become selectable as a player by what he does in our environment when I was at the uh, at MK my first in let's say our golden generation um, they they had a lot of players that didn't actually win many games within the 18s program but out of that their pathway their what they were able to do has made them go on and get careers in the foot, in the game because they were able to do things that potentially we facilitated and made correct for them in that environment. For example, we've got full-backs now within our, within our first team that have shown that they have been, been able to become selectable without worrying about the results from 18s football. So 
their development has increased, win, lose or draw, they've still got the, the fundamentals that they need to, to go to that next stage. Because really what we're trying to create is players that go into our first team or go beyond or, or go to any other club, that's still a success. So having players that are selectable for a first team, whichever club that's at, I think is still important. So I guess to summarise that, you, even though it's the intention that you put on certain areas as a coach, isn't it? Yeah. Like you said, talking about his decision making and almost not paying too much attention to the result. Yes, there's an importance there, but it's what have you done as an individual? Mm. Yeah, you, look, if 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 a if a player, if we've increased the ability for that player to have exposure to as a centre half being able to head a ball. Yeah then you're giving him the tools that he needs to then go and make a career in football. Yeah. That they I think they're the big things. You've got if you've got a forward that's not scoring goals but he shows that he's got that bit well put it, create an environment where it allows him to go and work on that. It might be great that he's not scoring goals because he might be going through that low and that that coping or that learning time where actually at the end of it he comes out of it and he's getting loads of success because he's been put in a situation where he has to be challenged and worked on to, to get his goals and he might only get two chances in the game but it's creating that environment where he's got that challenge mm. but keeping that constant and giving him the opportunities to work on those parts as well Brilliant well Alex with, with goalkeepers obviously quite a unique position that I, I imagine they're often like you touched on earlier number of goals conceded yeah not all the time can sometimes impact their view on the game so how like a, a mistake for a goalkeeper yeah. is often the most costly of mistakes on the pitch so yeah. how do you ensure that your goalkeepers are, are still going through that learning development I think exa exactly the same I think we're very fortunate at academy football clubs category football clubs to have videos to watch the games back and Nine times out of ten, almost ten times out of ten, you'll get players that have individual clips. And I think it's it's about kind of giving that kind of uh, time, you know, talking about that stuff. We'll forget the result. They're individual clips throughout a game or, or games that you're discussing with your with your player, goalkeeper in my, in my sort of scenario. And, and 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 like you said, it's just about giving them the tools in, in those little clips, what could you have done better? Yeah, they might have lost the game 4-1, but 4-0, 5-0, 6-0, but, but those individual clips are, are little bits and snippets of, of what you have there as a goalkeeper. So the result doesn't matter. We're having to kind of give that goalkeeper the, the help, the advice, breaking down what they can do and then going to kind of practice that. Uh, uh, but then you work with an 18, 19-year-old. Is there a, a point where maybe that he or she needs to start to recognise that actually that, that's not good enough. I don't know if it's always, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Could we create people who accept losing or goalkeepers who are not really bothered by conceding goals? Not not saying that's my opinion, just is, is that something that... I think it's, it's, the same, it's the same for a defender. I mean, do, do we create a defender who, who goes and wins his headers accepting that... That wasn't a dig at goalies, by the way. I mean, for M MK Dons, for example, DNA is defenders. Rather than defending in possession, look to receive, play out where they can. Do 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 MK Dons or, or the teams that have a philosophy of playing out work individually on dealing with the headers or, or dealing defensively? So I flip it again to, to, to the outfield players. What What kind of... 
Shock, you're flipping it to the outfield players. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm going to flip it back, though. Go on. Because I actually think that goalkeepers are quite... They're not lucky because it's such a hard position to be in. There's only one position on the pitch. So I think the other thing is they have a little bit longer. If you look at goalkeepers that actually make it, they don't make it until 23, 24. So their period of time that they're learning, they're developing at this point, mm. I don't think it's necessarily don't worry. I think it's really, it's really important that you're thinking about the wording that you use through it. I think that's key for everyone, though. I completely. But if you think about the time that a goalkeeper has potentially to still learn and get their opportunity, it's slightly different potentially to a, an outfield player, which is great for them. It might be frustrating for them as well because they might not have that time to to continue to learn or develop and mm. get that opportunity ever. I think in order to drive competitiveness as well in individuals, it's about how we work with the lads. And I think we, we've spoken a lot about if the result doesn't go for us, then we spot little wins within it to improve confidence. Or what about when we do win, still working with the lads to go? It, nothing changes. And something I sort of speak to players about is regardless of the result, and I think it goes the same for first-team players, whether they're, whether they're four, 13, 12, 11, 10 years old in an academy or 33 years old at the end of their career, they go into work the next day and they've got to be better, regardless of the result at the weekend, because they've got a young lad trying to take his place or they've got um, first team fighting for shirts or they've got an academy player trying to get in a first team contract. And I think the big thing is you see clips of coaches now working with players after a, after a result on the pitch and people think it's done for the crowd. It's not. It's done for to improve players and to better football players mm. and I think the big thing is if we're if, if you've won a game but you can identify areas where they need to work on it go and work with them because that, that, that will drive their intent to want to be better every day which will then like you said before James about the result taking care of itself because yeah. of the performance if we drive improvements in players regardless of result they'll want to be better and want to have yeah. that learning process going on that will drive results in the, in the long run I think, I think like going back to Shane's point around that sliding scale, that's a really good way of just think keeping the development focus really high, but starting to notch up the importance around performance as you get closer to that environment. I think that's it's all, yeah, it's at well, time. But uh, what I'm just thinking is, for example, I saw that the lads who work with the 16s at, at my club recently have been putting that emphasis on different aspects that will add up to the winning in later phases so in in training it's uh, blocks and saves earn goals for the team as well so celebrating the fact that actually if you throw yourself in and make a block at the top level that's that's but, huge but it's not it's almost saying it's not okay just to allow even in training not okay to just allow that shot because it's it's a, a small sided game where we just keep playing it's you earn points by blocking and, and because Later, that's a skill that's needed. So you still got to work on the development, but as the lads get older, it's starting to just drip in. Well, now, come on, so we need to be thinking about how your involvements are going to impact bigger and better. Does that make sense? I, so agree, it's not, yeah. I agree with that, but then I also would say that if I, if I, you've got to do that in the foundation phase as 100%, well. 100%. Because yeah. that, but it's, it's done on a slightly different thing. Good teamwork skills. Is should be emphasised, and that will develop a person rather than just a football player. Yeah, yeah. And no, I think I if that. you can, it, it, I get the, the sliding scale for me is about the amount of competitive fixtures that you might play. And I think we've spoken about what if if you get the same of everything, it be, you become fixed into that mindset. So if you get all non-competitive fixtures, yeah, yeah. the result you, you you're breeding non-competitive players. Whereas if you get 
all competitive fixtures, you breed competitive players. So as they get older, the increase in the amount of competitive stuff they do should be seen. I think Premier League fixtures and Football League fixtures are starting to get that in their programme. I think grassroots have, have made an Im- have, have tried to do that within their games programmes. Maybe it's not quite right, like you spoke about at 12s, 13s at the moment, but that's up for debate. But I think the sliding scale for me is about the amount of competitiveness they play. I would still want to see behaviours of putting your body on the like sliding in to clear one off the line or I had an under under eight the other day head it off the line um, because he was he was last man and it was a fantastic little header um, and he got praised up to the eyeballs from everyone he got a pat on his back from his teammates the coaches loved the loved the intensity of it not because it helped the team to win or help the team to or try to prevent a loss because it's the right sorts of behaviours and we still need yeah. to drive standards the and context, players of the yeah, younger age Yeah, the age context groups. of the older age groups, you might relate it to the, yes. the result a bit yeah. more. But we spoke a lot about players. I just want to, one more question. We'll start with you, Shane, um, and we'll go around the room on this one. But we spoke around the players and their environment, but what are the challenges that you lads as coaches have faced when winning or that winning environments start to come... Not necessarily more important because we've all spoke around where we place importance, but how did you cope or learn from being in an environment where there's something on the result? What were the challenges that you faced, positive or negative? And I'll, I'll hold my hands up and share some as well. But I think it's um, it, it, it's perspective of what your role is at, the, at that point. So um, my previous role in in being involved in the football education side of the club, where actually there's a you're trying to educate young people, give them opportunities to still learn and develop within the game. But there's a. It was important around around that environment that there was a there was an element of us uh, winning, because it plays a heavy role in recruitment and what the program looks like for for the next generation and sustaining that program. So, the the challenge I think the challenge around it and the balance around it is is how much you let the result or outcomes of games affect you as an individual and do you define what you've done well as a group, as individuals, as a collective programme or are you defined by that, by the result on the pitch or are you defined by your the actions and the environment that you create? I think at times winning or uh, winning meant the results being important can bring out the best in people, but it can bring out the worst in people. And I think it's all about perspective. I think perspective is really crucial around it. Um, and you having self-perspective of where you're at, of why did we do well? Well, did we do well because we are the, the better individuals and the better team? Or did we do well and win because we're physically stronger and actually we're going to, we might lose that battle in two or three years time. So it's all, perspective is really key. And I think individually, you we, we, Right now, I don't. Um, I don't put pressure on myself around whether the 13s have won or the 16s have lost. Like that, that doesn't. I'm not bothered by those particular outcomes. I'm bothered by what I know about each individual player in a different environment. Would I be bothered about the results and winning stuff? Yeah. And I think you. It's just your behaviours you bring out. But just to just to flip it, I, I'm, you might be open to having more opinions on this. But I think we're in. A, we're actually in an environment now where first team managers are losing jobs not because of results but because of styles of football that they're playing so I think even at the top level now there's a mentality where fans are actually demanding sometimes performance over 
results, which I think is a really interesting place to yeah. be at. And a really, it's a it's a really interesting time for the game to be in those situations and those environments. That, that's uh, uh, that's a really really interesting topic. We might have to get everyone back for another another <laughs> podcast on that. But has anyone has anyone been in an environment where whether it's a one off game or, or and or or a, a competition where winning is important I'm, I'm taking I it back to you and I yeah, took a I'm game at a non-league club in the FA Youth Cup I think you were there as well Algs and listen we had to win because winning the lads wanted to win it was the highlight of their career to date another fixture gets more exposure to first team staff and and we didn't win I'm just wondering what was there anything that that sort of what are your experiences? How did that affect you on the touchline, Mark? If you want to share any of those, like oh, old... first time I've ever been heckled from behind from the crowd, which was a really interesting thing to deal with, because I'm on the touchline trying to motivate players and getting stick from a 70 year old bloke behind me, which was a real. If I'm honest, the season before that, I was working with under 10, so like it was a case of being thrown in a little bit at the deep end and. Luckily, I had a very, very good man on the sideline with me, which was nice. Um, now I lost my head as well because, <laughs> but it, but it, it was because I found it so hard because the opposition manager. The, I remember the, uh, was, the environment was was not hostile, but it was it was it was non-league. It was we're going to win. We're here to beat you. You don't deserve to. You're not better than us just because you're a, a, a league club, and the the actions of like you said, fans or opposition, that it took my attention away from where it should have been. I think the... I got to steal a phrase from Matty Joseph, I got emotionally hijacked. And my attention was where it shouldn't have been. And in hindsight, I let the players down because the occasion got the better of me. Well, funnily you should say that because my... Matty Joseph also helped me a little bit and it helped me six months earlier when you had to take over a game because I got emotionally hijacked in it. And we sat down afterwards and it helped me differentiate between what I'd do after a loss or a win. Um, and it, it, it all boiled down to whether it, whether the result happened because of an attitude problem or whether the result happened because of an application problem. If it's an application problem, well, that's my job to fix it as a coach. So then we just go to work in a calm manner with the, with the players and we get to work with them and fix the problems in sessions. And it's, it's the knowledge of the players that need improving. If it's an attitude problem in that they didn't run around enough or they didn't work hard enough, well, that's possibly a bigger issue because players have to work hard regardless that should be the minimum requirement so I think allowing it to differ, allowing to differentiate between that might depend on how you feed back to the players in the sense of if it's something that needs fixing in the games if it's part of the objectives if it's if it's bordering on that we'll coach them because that's our job that's what we're there for that's the responsibility we've took on whether we're paid or unpaid or voluntary or whatever that's the role we've took on by standing on the sideline working with players um, if it's an attitude problem, then that will need a different type of conversation to make sure it's fixed. So I think in that moment, um, if I remember the game correctly, um, I felt we were on top. And actually, we, we hit the bar, we hit the post, we had umpteen opportunities and just couldn't hit the target. Well, that's a psycho that could be a, psycho a psychological problem that the lads got panicky in the, in the game, snatched up their end product, and therefore their end product wasn't quite as good as it has been throughout the rest of the season. So that is just a, a learning and experience thing. So therefore, we've put on the 16s competitive leagues and we've put on experiences to get them to play under floodlights, which they had to do for the first time inside a stadium at a grassroots level or at a non-league level. So they've got people heckling them from the sideline and telling them that they're no good or that they're arrogant or that whatever it might be. Um, so I think 
it, that, yeah, really that helped just, me. That was just you and me. That was just, yeah, that was just me. I couldn't see past me because I, I was about two stone heavier. Um, but I think the big thing for me was it was allowing me to um, differentiate between that application or attitude issue and then coach effectively in that. Yeah. On that, did that... But that comes from like hindsight and reflection, doesn't it? You being able to reflect on it now, looking back on it. Because I, I think, like, for for me, like, my my biggest learning probably in, in involved in academy football or my journey was, I think we lost 9-0 to Cambridge um, going back a few years. And that emotional hijacking that you talk about, like, I remember coming away from that, like, being absolutely, like, what have I just watched? Ironically, conversation with Matty Joseph, and he said, like, watch it back. And I watched it back and like across that game, we'd let in like across three periods, like three goals in like three, five minute blocks. And that was the, that was a massive learning thing for me because I was like, Do you know what? I come away from that like thinking, oh my God, we've we've been hammered there. But then watching it back and going, well, actually, do you know what? We those little blocks we were poor, but actually for the vast majority of the game, we were competitive. We'd hit the post, we'd hit the bar, we'd had a goal display. So it's about that perspective in you, I think. You have to some. We have to learn to detach ourselves a little bit as adults from what that outcome is, and be able to have that perspective on it. Yeah. Gonna, what was, it means for us, like yeah, I was going to ask you. I think I think you can detach enough. yourself when your job's not at risk. Absolutely. And I think I've been very fortunate enough to to be involved with the first team um, and non-league, um, and I think you see the heckling, and it's and it's not just heckling. It's it's personal abuse towards the coaches and, 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 and sometimes that result is all that matters and I think being in a, a, a League One manager at the time over a Christmas busy Christmas period playing two local derbies in front of sort of 30 plus thousand fans and getting beat over the three three games out of three you get to that fourth game and, and literally it is we have to win this game as how, did, how did that affect you then obviously going into that environment um, preparing for that game or during the game well, how, how did it affect you and how did you deal with that I think that kind of that, that person affects you because of the way that they are because their job's on the line ultimately then they expect X, Y and Z from the people around them and supporting them so their whole kind of demeanour and the way that they, they talk to you changes because ultimately their livelihood is on the line so you you get that much pressure, that much more pressure. You know, you've got to do this, this a little bit more, that a little bit more, you know, and you've got to give a little bit more back. And it's and it's and it's challenging as a coach. You know, you, you go from academy stuff and, and, and this look, yeah, it's okay to lose because you've got another day to or another week or another block or another syllabus topic to work on to help. But actually, when you're in the first team environment, you might not have another day. So it's we have got to win now. So would you say then, just to summarise this, I know we've all got some, probably loads more stories to share, but I'm conscious of time, but would you say, I guess, thinking aloud, we need to give our players more exposure to winning environments as we grow up, as they grow up. Do you think maybe we as coaches need to have more exposure to that? I know personally I do. I've worked, fortunately, in academy for a long time where I've, I'm talking about my players not being exposed to those types of environment. Neither have I. So actually, when I come in those environments and get emotionally hijacked because it's new to me as well, do you think maybe that's... I think that's where European clubs get it right. Mm. They they um, promote coming and watching the youth teams play 
and they could be playing in front of 4,000 people. Now, you could have loads of different types of characters there that could be heckling from the side. How does the, the coach then cope with that? Do we create that environment enough in this country for people to understand how that feels? We do a game every year at MK, which is with the 15s, and we get clubs to come in and get kids to experience at 15s. So it's not their first environment, but it's not the first time that they step on the stadium pitch to play. We get a, a vast amount of different types of, of people coming along to those games, but it could be 2,000 to 4,000 people that come and watch that one game. Now, that's a completely different environment that they've ever, ever been used to, but it's something that they're going to have to get used to if they're going to make a career in football. Now, are we doing it enough in this country, like European countries? You look at clubs in Spain that when Barcelona and Real Madrid play against each other, you've got a huge crowd watching an under-12 game or an under-13s game. Are we exposed enough to that, like you said, to having that experience of having... Even if they're not heckling, you've got 100 people standing behind you. How do you deal with it? Yeah, yeah. I think that's key. And I think it boils down to experiences and making sure that you are giving those players different experiences. And I know some of them get it through tours and tournaments, so you have to take them abroad to get that because um, some tournaments run where there are 200 people watching behind the goal. And there's a great uh, YouTube video of Tottenham's under 12s years and years ago going over to Lech Poznan. Um, and it's like the ultras with the flares and everything <laughs> and I think exposing them to environments like that but it's key to not overexpose mm. and do all of the same thing because then it gets very boring do you think we need to expose coaches more to first team environments as well in academies because mm. I think sometimes they kind of just think that they're always ultimately I think they need to see where the top is at their yeah. club well that should they help to... this should help you plan the journey shouldn't it if you yeah. know where they're going to it should help you plan and deliver that journey but yeah. I think it's important what good looks like yeah um, lads are, I'm conscious of time we've been here it, time's flying so before we go on to the infamous quick fire questions um, something we, we I'm looking to ask the guests now if you could just give us one name on who you would like to see featured on the podcast in the future um, other than yourself coming back of course but who who would you like us to interview in the future? Has anyone got any recommendations? Yeah, uh, Craig Hinton. Craig Hinton, don't, wow. don't hope. Has, he, has he paid you? <laughs> yeah. he, he has just dropped paid me a text. You. Craig Hinton, all right. There's good balance, I think. There you go, Hints. Yeah, nice. Anyone else got any recommendations? Paul McGuinness. I think Paul he's a McGuinness. fantastic coach. Okay. Um, seen him do some work for the FA and um, very knowledgeable around the 1v1 stuff uh, and movements of players. Yeah, I think it'd be good. Um, I mean, it's been great to be here, you know, from a grassroots perspective. I think it'd be good to involve maybe more grassroots coaches as well. And, um, yeah, see if we can bring more, more of that into it. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Claire Davidson. She works as a psychologist. So she might be an interesting one. Oh, person. fantastic. That's one. Go on then, I Jim. have got one for you. Um, Stephen Bottom um, is off to, obviously, New Zealand. No. But um, I think it would be interesting to get a medical perspective on stuff with how we work with players and... And kind of the different balance that we have with with working with young players and what their perspective on stuff. We'll have to, I'll have to get Botty on the list. No, brilliant. Right, lads, let's go on to the quick fire questions. Obviously, there's five of us here, so um, it's got to be. We'll go around the room. Start with you, Algs. Um, remember, it's quick fire. So, in your opinion, best ever Premier League player? Go. Cristiano Ronaldo, Paul Scholes, Thierry Henry, Bergkamp. Ryan Giggs. Oh, nice. 
Uh, we'll go the opposite way now. Start with you, JB. Best ever Premier League team to watch. Don't say Newcastle. No, I, I wouldn't dare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd probably go... Quick fire. I know, sorry. <laughs> Quick fire. I'm slow. You've got to remember that. Um, I would probably go 98 Man United. To watch, I'd say Man City of last year. Yeah, current Man City. 98 Man United. I'm with you, bro. The Invincibles. Yes. Got to be, yeah, That's why Augs is here. Um, best ever Premier League... Uh, sorry, best ever coach or manager. Not necessarily Premier League, just of all time. Uh, I'll start with you. Pep. Sir Alex. Pep. Brian Clough. I'm dropping in a, a Newcastle one here. Uh, Bobby Robson. Yeah, he's been mentioned before, yeah, mate. Yeah. And now, last but not least, I hope you've brought your pieces of paper with you. Your all-time England eleven. Any volunteers to go first? I'll go. Seaman, <laughs> Neville, Ashley Cole, coming back to centre-backs. Scolzi, Rooney, Beckham, Gerrard, Kane, Shearer. Undecided on back to I'm going to go on the spot. Rio Ferdinand and John Terry. Nice. Lions, what's yours? Um, so... Well, let's go. Shilton in goal. Um, Neville right back. Bobby Moore, which I can't believe no one's mentioned. Centre half. He's in mind. Is he? Brilliant. <laughs> Love a West Ham player. Uh, Rio Ferdinand alongside him, obviously. Uh, Ashley Cole in at left back. Uh, midfield three. We're going to go uh, Scholes, Gerrard and Gascoigne. Oh, Gaza. Beckham right. No idea who left. Let's go. Let's throw in Sterling. Current Sterling. Uh, not previous World Cup Sterling. Um and I'm going to throw in a new one. Gary Lineker, Leicester contact, uh, up front, golden boot winner. Shano? So I've gone heavy on the attacking front. You've got a dossier so, there, Shane, yeah, on each player. Banks, back three of uh, Gary Neville, Bobby Moore, Stuart Pearce, Diamond of Scholes at the base, Gerard, Ryan Robson, and then Cholton, and then front three of Beckham, Rooney, and current Raheem Sterling. I can't believe we we can't dis- we can't go current or old Raheem Sterling. That's, that's, that's a bit derogatory. I'm looking right? into the future. He's, a, he's, a, he's been in the England squad. You can't call him a good version and a bad. He's, he's still only 24, so I'm not like what he could be in the future. Decent that way. He's gone for a, what a three four three diamond three. Yeah, it's ultra attacking. Oh, mate. We don't do defense. love that. <laughs> James, unbelievably, I've almost gone for the same eleven as Mark actually, and I've only got two differences. So I've got Pierce instead of Cole at left back. I've got to say that I'm a Forest fan. <laughs> and I've got Shearer up front instead of Lineker. Other than that, I think for 9 out of 11, you got it right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds think alike. Exactly. Yeah, that's worrying. <laughs> JB? I've gone Mike Bassett 4 4 2. Love that. Uh, I've gone Seaman in goal, uh, Cole and Walker playing as the two fullbacks with John Terry and Rio Ferdinand, Gerard and Scholes, Gascoigne on the left, Beckham on the right, and then Shearer and Rooney up top. No Benson and Hedges? A bench. <laughs> <laughs> Some strong teams there. I guess. Uh, I guess we'll put it to the put it to the vote. Who wins that? Uh, I want to know what podcast you're doing yours on. That right? Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I might have a ball playing centre half in Martin Keogh. Keogh. <laughs> Don't. Uh, lads, that's been an hour and a quarter of uh, of your day. So um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Hopefully, you guys have enjoyed it. Um, I, I should think the listeners might have took something from it. If not. 
who cares? Because I had a great time. <laughs> um, just before I finish again, remember to go and visit Pitch, um, www.pitchrmt.com if you're a player or a coach looking to recruit talent or, or share your talent. Um, but boys, just wanted to say thank you very much for your time. Thank Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, please do share your thoughts on uh, on social media. Give this uh, a five-star rating and share a comment. That'd be brilliant. We're starting to get some good exposure now. I think we're around 4,000 listens, which which means there's 4,000 people who couldn't sleep at night. But it's great to be helping the, the public out there. But um, go and follow these guys on social media. I'll link them all in. You'll, you'll find a lot of good stuff on there and some of it football-related, some of it just, just funny. So, um, again... All the best with all the best with your uh, upcoming fixtures and and projects to date, lads. So thanks again. Big thanks to Mark for making sure this happens. And uh, yeah, all the best. See you guys in the next episode. So if there's something you or you don't agree with, respectfully challenge and don't. Because I think <laughs> I think. I don't want to have a podcast. <laughs> I swear it, guys. <laughs>